I love giving stories. I, I love stories like we just got to hear now from people that are part of this body of Christ, sharing their story of their journey of giving, how it is that they started that process of giving back to the Lord through his church. And then how they've been able to see just the blessing that God attaches to that. My guess is that you like giving stories as well, because giving stories are always positive for us. Uh, they are reminders to us of several things. Giving stories teach us how to give by example. Giving stories uh, help us be inspired toward generosity. And then giving stories remind us that we are stewards, we're not owners. They remind us that we're managers, we're not owners. Giving stories remind us we're caretakers, we're not owners. And that's an important biblical truth I want you to hold on to today through this message. Earlier uh, this morning, I asked you to identify someone for whom you're thankful this year at Thanksgiving. I asked you to turn and tell the person next to you who that person was. Uh, the people that God puts in our lives uh, are a blessing to us. And when I was thinking about that, the person's name that I was thinking of was Dr. Fred Lackey. You would have no reason to know who that is. Uh, Fred Lackey was my childhood pastor, affectionately known as Brother Fred by those of us who knew him. But I'm grateful for him because he is a key element in my giving story. You see, it would have been from his pulpit ministry that I would have heard him teach from the Word of God about the importance of even as a child of my giving back to the Lord through his church, a tithe, a tenth of my income. Well, when you're a child, you don't have a lot of money. You know, you've got a little bit. You may get some allowance. I worked with my dad uh, some. He was an electrician and plumber. And so I would go with him on jobs and he would give me a little something for helping him. But I would, I learned to begin giving a dime out of every dollar. I would give a dollar out of every 10. And it was a commitment that I had made as a child. But really more than that, I thought about how he was instrumental in my giving story because in July of 1980, I had just graduated from high school that spring. I was getting ready to go to college and the air conditioning system in our church went out and it was not repairable. Had to completely redo everything in the church. And I have no idea what that cost. Some people probably thought, well, you should have had a contingency fund. I don't know how that happened. All I know is that he got up on a Sunday morning and he said, hey, I'm going to call our church to do something bold. I'm going to ask every member of our church to give a double tithe, so to give twice what you're normally giving. If you're giving a tithe or a tenth of your income now, I'm going to ask you to give twice that for the month of August. And that's how we're going to resolve this heating and air conditioning problem. I'm a kid. I mean, I'm 18 years old, but I'm a young man. And I'm making $3.25 an hour at Amber Electric and Plumbing Supply, 10 cents above minimum wage. I was killing it early on. So I'm thinking, you know what? It's my pastor. I, I'm, I followed his lead. I'm going to follow his lead. He said he, we need to do this, and I'm going to do this. And so I decided for the month of August I would double what I was giving. It wasn't a lot. You know, when you got a little, you can give a little. You got a lot, you can give a lot. I, I gave, and I, I doubled what I was giving. But it wasn't missed on me that about a month later when I had gotten to school at Sanford University that I was notified that I had received a $1,000 scholarship, the Maddie Kaufman Scholarship from our church. And it was for people who were preparing for ministry. And so in that process, I thought, wow, God, you have blessed me far more than anything I can imagine. School costs $6,000 a year, just for those of you that are thinking about school. Okay, it was, sounds cheap by now, I know. So $1,000 so of $6,000, I was like, wow, it might as well have been a million to me. And I realized, I made the connection, at least in my head and my heart, 
I made a commitment to give back to the Lord beyond what I was normally giving, and wow, did God bless me in a big-time kind of way. Far more than anything I could have ever imagined would have happened. Now, I'm not saying that God's a bubblegum machine. You put in a quarter, you get out a bunch of bubblegum. No, and I'm not saying this is transactional, but what I'm saying to you is that I realized in that moment God had done something. I determined at that point I was just going to keep giving at that level. So on through college, God provided for me, and I was grateful for his provision. He provided three jobs. I worked in the post office on campus. I worked at the library at Vestavia Hills uh, Library, and I worked on the weekends as a part-time youth pastor. And so God provided for my way all the way through college. And I just continued to give that way. And I saw God's hand of blessing continue to just be poured out on my life. I think about that and just realize that there really is a blessing attached to giving that is kind of unexplainable. I can't explain to you how that all works mathematically. I can't put it on an Excel spreadsheet and make it work, but I can tell you that when you honor God um, first with your giving instead of last, there's a blessing there. So Jan and I met in 1983. We married in 1986. That was part of our conversation about our level of giving. And we decided we would just keep giving that way. We decided that giving would be the first line item in our budget. It would not be the last. And so we would set aside first what we were going to give, and then we would live on the rest. And we would trust God to provide. And we watched over and over as God continued to do that. I won't bore you with those stories, but I'll say to you that God is faithful as he continues to bless us in our giving. And I don't mean just us. I'm saying each person who honors God with their giving, there is a blessing associated with that. So that's my giving story. My question for you is, what's your giving story? What about your giving story? Uh, You know, we all have a giving story. Our giving story is either, like the one I just said, hey, I was confronted with the truth of Scripture and what the Bible has to say about giving and what my responsibility is, what my opportunity is to get to join God in the work that He's doing, or... You have a story of, we're not really there yet. I've not really committed to that. Maybe you've been attending this church for some time. You like Pastor Eric's preaching. Um, He does a great job here in the pulpit for us every week. Or maybe you're a part of a life group and you love that. Your kids have been at vacation Bible school or kids camp, but you're like, we're not really contributing to that. Okay, today I want to challenge you to consider what would God have you to do? What kind of giving story does God want you to start today Because the truth is, as we honor God with what he has given to us, there's a blessing attached to that. I don't know if you've noticed how many passages of Scripture deal with this issue of giving. As I flipped through the pages of Scripture, I was kind of blown away by the number of stories, giving stories, that there are in the Bible. And they are many. I want to encourage you, as you're reading through Scripture, just to put that in the back of your mind. God, is there a text in here about giving? Hey, take a look at these. Matthew 2, 11. Remember, there are wise men that see the star of Jesus over the stable in Bethlehem, and they travel a long ways. What do they bring? Gold, frankincense, myrrh. They are coming to worship the King of Kings. They come as an act of worship, and they bring gifts with them. Luke 7 tells a story about Jesus in a public setting where a woman approached him, and she broke the seal on an expensive jar of perfume and anointed his feet. She gave a valuable gift. 
Uh, Luke, 19, uh, Luke chapter 9 tells us about the story of Jesus' uh, encounter with a little boy who gave Jesus his lunch probably for that day. Uh, two fish, five loaves. You remember this story? Jesus takes that and multiplies it and he feeds 5,000 people with that. Luke chapter 10, Jesus tells a story about a good Samaritan. You remember he finds a man left on the roadside for dead. He'd been beaten, had been robbed. What does the good Samaritan give him? He gives care, he gives compassion. He gives him transportation. He gives care. He pays the innkeeper to take care of him. He says, if there's more, I'll be glad to give that. Luke 19 is a great story of that encounter with Zacchaeus, with Jesus. Jesus comes to his house and he says, Zacchaeus, salvation has come to your house today. What that meant for him was that, hey, your sins are forgiven, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus placed his trust in Jesus. His life was transformed. What happened in that? Zacchaeus said, Jesus, I've been cheating people. As a tax collector, I've taken things from them that weren't mine. If I've defrauded anyone, I'll give back four times, God, that amount. That's a lot. In Luke 21, there's an amazing story of Jesus sitting at the temple treasury, watching people drop their offerings in. And Jesus notices as people come by and they're giving various amounts, he can hear as the coins drop in how much money is being given. And Jesus points out to the disciples, hey, look over there. Do you see that woman? She dropped in two tiny copper coins. He said, she's given more than anybody else here today. Why? He said, because these others gave out of their plenty. She gave everything that she had. It's a great giving story. It's a great sacrificial giving story. Uh, you may remember that Joseph of Arimathea, Luke 23, records that he gave a tomb. He gave the burial place for Jesus. You could argue that he only loaned it. Okay? Jesus only needed it for three days. He wasn't staying there long, but still he gave this gift to bless the Lord. Acts 4, you see him on the screen there. Joseph, Barnabas, he sells all of his land uh, and he gives all of the proceeds to the apostles in the first church. Uh, 2 Corinthians tells us about the Macedonians. Paul writes about the church at Philippi, how they gave generously to support him. That's just a sampling of some of the stories. These are good examples of people who gave generously. But there are a number of stories in the Bible that talk about giving, but they're not all good. Well, they are good examples, they're just not good examples of good examples. They're good examples of bad examples. If you're going to be on a list, you don't want to be on the good example of a bad example list. You know what I mean? That's not where you want to be. There are some stories in the Bible that are good examples of bad examples of giving or not giving. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells a story about a man who was a very successful, rich farmer. He could see that he was going to have bumper crops. It was going to be huge this year. And he says, I've got to figure out what I'm going to do. Ah, i got an idea. I'm going to tear down my small barns and I'm going to build giant barns. And I'm going to store all this stuff up for myself. And then I can kick back and I can just eat, drink, and be merry and I can live my life well. Jesus says to him in this story, you're a fool. He said, this night your soul shall be required of you. And then what's going to become of all this stuff that you've stored up? It's all going to be somebody else's. Jesus said, you can be rich in the eyes of the world, but you're not rich in the things of God. Wow. That's a good example of a bad example. This man was holding on to everything God had entrusted to him. Luke 16 tells us a story about a man named Lazarus who lived near another man who was quite wealthy. 
And Lazarus was outside the gates of this man's house. The implication of the story is that this man really was probably bothered by Lazarus and certainly did not help him in any way. The Bible says that Lazarus just wanted the scraps from the rich man's table. That's all he wanted. He just wanted a little bit to nourish him. Both of these men die. Jesus goes on to tell us about the differences in their eternal destinies. Not based on their good works, based on where they had placed their faith. One who had placed his faith and confidence in God. One who had placed his faith and confidence in himself. Luke 18 tells an amazing story about a guy we call the rich young ruler. Uh, what do we mean by that? Well, he was wealthy and he was probably a prince or ruler. He approached Jesus one day and he said to Jesus, hey, I want to know what do I have to do to have eternal life? Let's talk about this. They began talking about the commandments. And this young man quickly surmised that, hey, I've kept all of those, Jesus. I've done them all. I've done, I've done great. And Jesus, knowing that that was not true, knowing that this man had sinned, knowing that this man had broken the commandments, he didn't call him out for it. He just put his finger on the one thing that was most important. Jesus said, well, there's one thing you still lack then. You need to go sell everything that you've got, give it to the poor, and you need to come and follow me. See, Jesus calls us to follow after him. That was the important call in that moment. Jesus wasn't telling this man, you can buy your way into heaven if you'll just sell everything, you'll get in. That's not what he was saying at all. Jesus was reminding him that he had broken the first commandment. Do you remember the first commandment, the first one of the ten? I'm the Lord your God. You shall have how many gods? No other gods before me. Jesus understood that this man's money was his God. Now, these stories are not against riches, but Jesus did say that riches can become such an impediment for us. Our wealth can become a negative factor in our relationship with God. If we don't get it in the right perspective, we will begin to depend on ourselves instead of depending on God. The Bible says this young man walked away sadly because he was very wealthy. He had many possessions, and he was unwilling to part with those in order to follow after Jesus. Wow. Acts chapter 5 tells an interesting story about Ananias and Sapphira. I encourage you to read that later on today about their circumstances of being a good example of a bad example. Here's what I want you to, want to know is what's your giving story? What is your giving story? Is your giving story marked more like the first set of people that I talked about? Those good examples? Or is it more marked like those bad examples? You see, there's a message in all of these stories. These giving stories really tell us that giving is about the heart. It's not about the amount of money. None of these were ever about the size of the gift or the amount of money. It was about the heart. If you look at those first stories, you will see people who gave sacrificially, people who gave generously, people who gave gladly, cheerfully, joyfully, or all the adverbs that would describe the way these people gave. If you look at the second set of stories... What you'll see are people who were hoarding for themselves and people who were storing up and collecting things stingily. You'll find people who are giving begrudgingly or deceptively in that second set of stories. Well, here's the good news today. If your story resembles more of those good examples of bad examples, then God wants to change that. And I want to encourage you to know that our text today is going to address some people who were having problems giving well. 
These people were having difficulties with their giving and in their relationship with God. And I want you to see what God did and what God said to them and what he provided for them. Get your Bible with you. Open it to Malachi. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. If you want to go to Matthew, the first gospel of the New Testament, just go back a couple of pages to the left. You'll find um, the book of Malachi. Go to Malachi chapter 3. And while you're turning there, let me just set this up and tell you that Malachi was the last prophetic voice to the children of Israel before John the Baptist came to speak and before Jesus was born. 400 years before the birth of Jesus, this guy's preaching. And he's speaking to the nation of Israel. And he's talking with them about a number of things. Malachi chapter 1 verse 1 is where Jesus says specifically, or um, God says through the prophet to the people, he says, I declare for you my love for you. He's saying the covenant that I made with Abraham is still in effect. Nothing's changed. I love you. But because I love you, I'm going to tell you the truth. And so the prophet Malachi continues to confront a series of issues in the life of the people of Israel. They have returned from Babylon. They had been in exile. You may recall that Babylon came in, took over, destroyed the temple, destroyed Israel, took people off into exile. Seventy years they stayed in exile. They came back. Nehemiah came back first with a group of people. Miraculously, 52 days built the wall around the city. It's a big deal. Followed by that, the temple would be rebuilt. And as the people began to move back, they began to settle in to life kind of as normal. The priests, Levites, are back at the temple. They are back... um, taking care of their duties and responsibilities, bringing the word of God to people, taking care of the sacrificial system. All those things are happening. I don't know if this happens to you or not, but for me, sometimes I discover that I can get kind of lax, lackadaisical in my own walk with God during good times. That ever happened to you? Good times. It's easy to forget. Boy, all I need is one big problem in my life to cause me to say, wow, where's my help going to come from? Oh, yeah. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Lord, I need you to help me. These people had kind of just settled into a rhythm of life that seemed okay. Life was good. But they were not really serious about their walk with God. So God sent the prophet. And the prophet said to them, look, I'm declaring my love for you, but there's some things you need to deal with. Some of the issues that they were dealing with were complacency, their unacceptable offerings, um, idolatry. Uh, They were dealing with uh, things about infidelity and about divorce. And so the prophet Malachi calls these out. And he brings a charge against them. And then he says, he, he expresses to them, but this is what you say in response to these things. And that's where our text brings us today as he's going to call out another concern. Would you look at Malachi chapter 3, verse 5? The Bible says, And I will come near for judgment. I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, against adulterers, against perjurers, against those who exploit the wage earners and widows and orphans, and against those who turn away an alien because they do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I am the Lord. I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, in what way shall we return? What's he doing? He's called out a list of things 
that need to be addressed in their lives. They need attention. And then he says to them, look, return to me. And what do they say? Well, how shall we return to you? I mean, we, like we haven't gone away. What do you do when the Holy Spirit points out sin in your life? I have two responses. I can either agree with God and confess to him that what he says is sin is sin. Or I can find myself defending myself. But God, you don't understand. What are these people doing? They put up a defense. They're like, we, why should we return to you? We haven't gone away anywhere. How could we return? And he asks a question. The prophet says, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. What do they say? Oh, but in what ways have we robbed you, God? We haven't robbed you. Instead of agreeing, when God says there's an issue here, they're putting up a defense. He says, but you say, in what way have we robbed you? His response, in tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit in your field says the Lord of hosts, and the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. What's going on here? Well, when I think about this passage of Scripture, I, I think about it like a two-sided coin. This coin with one side representing God's part, one side representing our part. What's our part in this passage of Scripture? Or what was the part of the children of Israel? God said to them, you're going the wrong way. You have gone away from me in the way that you're living. And God invites them to return to me. What's he saying? He's saying, repent. Come back to me. Instead of casting them away and condemning them, God just says, look, things are not the way they need to be. Come back. So God says our part is to return. We agree with God. We confess, Lord, you're right. I've not been doing the things the way you want me to do them. I'll return. And then he says, the next thing is that your actions need to come in line with your heart. You're saying, you're agreeing with me that you need to return. So now here's what I want you to do. I want you to bring all the tithes into the storehouse. What are the tithes? What's the storehouse? The tithe. They would have known from Deuteronomy's, um, uh, from Leviticus numbers in Deuteronomy, clear instructions about how they were to give a tenth of their produce, a tenth of their crops, a tenth of their uh, livestock, and their livelihood. And there, was, there were times that they were called to give this. And he says in this moment, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. He didn't say, you bring some, you bring some, and you bring some. It's like all of you, all of you have an obligation, responsibility. You need to bring your part. You're going to bring it into the storehouse. It was a part of the temple. It was a room in the temple where the grains and uh, the uh, produce would have been stored and would have been kept. Why? So there'd be food in my house. The priest, their families uh, would have lived off of that sustenance. That would have been how they made their living. They didn't have any land. Uh, the Levites had no land. They had no places to grow food. They were dependent on the gifts of the other people to live. He said, if you'll do that, then the other side of this coin is what's God's part? He said, God's part is that I will open the windows of heaven and I'm going to pour out blessings on you to the overflowing 
and I'll protect you. I'll defend your crops. I'll protect your crops from those things that would devour your crops. It's an amazing passage of Scripture. We just stop to think about the promise of God here to his people. He is saying to them, you've got a part in this. You take the first step. You return. You begin bringing back the portion that is the Lord's already. And he said, then I'm going to bring great blessing in your life. I think about this. Like, why would we not give in that way? Well, there, there's a number of reasons that some people might offer for saying, okay, I don't think that tithe thing, the giving a tenth, I don't think that's New Testament. That's, a, that's an Old Testament concept. It was for the Jewish people. They should have done that. It's really not a New Testament idea. I'll even grant you that. Jesus mentions this in Matthew 23, 23. He affirms the tithe. He says that the Jewish people uh, that were, he was talking with, he said, you should have given these things. But then he points out that they've overlooked the matter of really loving the way God desires for them to love. You see, giving really is a matter of the heart. It's not about the legalistic checking the box that I did it just right. It is how I give. But there's plenty in the New Testament about giving. It may not use the word tithing in that sense, but there's a lot to be said. Acts chapter 20, 35, Jesus said, it is better for you to give than it is for you to receive. In Luke 6, 38, he said, give and it will be given back to you, pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing. That sounds a little bit like the Malachi passage of Scripture. The New Testament is filled with examples of this idea of how it is that we can give and how we can give faithfully. 1 Corinthians 16, 2, Paul instructs the church at Corinth that they need to set aside based on how God has prospered them. Again, that sounds like proportional giving. He's saying that, look, if God has blessed you greatly, then you need to give in response as an act of thanksgiving, as an act of worship, in proportion to how God has blessed you. If he's blessed you a little, give a little. If he's blessed you a lot, give a lot. But give in proportion to how God has blessed you. In chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, uh, verses 6 and 7, Paul reminds us that if we sow sparingly, we'll reap sparingly. If we sow generously, graciously, then we will receive in that same way. But he says that we need to decide in our hearts how and what we're going to give. The expectation there is that each one of us will do our part. That each one of us will give in a way that honors God. So the idea of tithe, New Testament, certainly the idea of giving is all over the New Testament. Some other people would argue that, well, I don't want to give because it's, it's mine. I mean, this is my money. Uh, I've earned this. And I just say, you got to go back and read the Bible. Psalm 24, 1 says, the earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof. Everything in it is the Lord's. We just read from Psalm 95, the mountains are his, the seas are his, everything is here. We are part of God's creation. But you might argue, well, yeah, but I, I've, I've worked hard for that. Well, God has covered all of these things. James 1.17 says that every good gift and every perfect gift has come to you from God. It's all come through his hands to you. And if you said, well, I earned it. It was my idea. I did those things. He covers that too. Deuteronomy 8.18 says, I'm the Lord your God. I have given you the ability to produce wealth in the land. That's what he was telling the children of Israel before they went into the promised land. He says, I'm the one that's given you the health, the strength, the mind, the ideas, the insight. I've given you the ability to earn a living. Wow. We need to honor God 
in a way that recognizes that he is the giver of all good gifts. Maybe you think about it this way. If you were, as a parent, maybe you've gone to the theater with your child and you've got one of those big giant popcorn buckets that cost about $50, whatever it is. I don't know, it's a lot. But, um, you know, you, you give them a bucket of popcorn and the movie and you reach over and grab a handful and your child pulls it back and says, this is mine. As a parent, you're thinking some interesting things in your head. You know, you're kind of like, I bought that popcorn for you. I gave you that popcorn. I could take it away if I wanted to. You know, I could do that. But God is the giver of everything that we have. And our response to him is one of worship when we acknowledge, God, you gave me what I have. And I want to say thank you. And one of the ways I do that is by giving back. It's not mine. And quickly, let me try to close here. Some would say, well, I'm in debt. I can't afford to give. Can I just tell you, I don't think you can afford not to give. Honestly, your putting giving at the top of your list instead of the bottom of the list will change the rest of your list. It will change the rest of your spending plan. Start somewhere. Start where you are. Give a little until you can give a lot. But I want to also just put the idea in your head that it's possible for you to live debt-free. Proverbs 22.7 says, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. It is possible for you to live in a way that debt does not control your life and that it does not rule over you. I was many years in my life before I figured out that actually you could live debt-free. I didn't really know that. Just assumed it's part of our world. We're the most marketed to generation in the planet, in the history of the planet, probably. Uh, there's an insatiable list of things that we can buy. I would say to you that when you start giving first, God helps you order those other things in your life. Let me just say that the, the fourth reason I would suggest is that some people would say, I don't trust God. Well, that's not true. None of us in this room would ever really say that out loud that I don't trust God. But you see, our actions betray our thoughts because when we say that I can't give or I won't give because, and you fill in the blank there, I'm really saying, God, I can't really trust you to provide for me next week. I know you provided for me this week, but I'm not sure you're going to provide for me next week, so I can't trust you in doing that. Let me remind you, Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Why? Because the shepherd takes care of his sheep. Psalm 37, 25, one of my favorite psalms says, I've been young and I've been old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his children begging for bread. Can I just tell you, God's plan for your life is not for you to starve to death. Paul writes to the church at Philippi in Philippians 4, 19, and my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. His riches and glory. I'm going to open the windows of heaven and pour out his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God has the ability to supply your every need. And our giving is an expression of that in such a way that we're saying to God, God, I trust you. You provided for me yesterday, and I'm giving today as an expression of thanks for that, and I trust that you're going to provide for me again tomorrow. It's Thanksgiving. So how do we show gratitude to God? for the blessings that he has given us in our lives. I'm going to say one of the ways that we show gratitude is by giving back to the Lord the portion that is already his. We get to be his managers. 
And we are teaching God. We're saying to God, you can trust me to manage this well, what you've given me. And when we do that, God attaches blessing to that. Give back to the Lord in a way that he has blessed and prospered you. My question for you is this. Does your giving reflect the level at which God has blessed you? Does your giving reflect the level at which God has blessed you? The church is God's idea to change the world. Not the United Nations, not the government, not a bunch of other agencies. The church is God's idea to change the world. I want to encourage you to recognize that giving back to the Lord through his church is a part of that process of changing the world and blessing others. Most likely you know that giving is good for our church. Giving allows our church to have the resources needed to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Your pastor today, Pastor Eric, is in Montreal, Canada. Why is he there? He's not on vacation. He's preaching today. He's preaching at La Chapelle. And he's preaching there because 10 years ago, we helped a group of people plant a church there. Since that time, they've planted three additional churches in Canada. So your giving has helped this church be a part of planting four churches in Canada in the last decade. Wow. What a blessing for our church to be a part of that, for you to get to be a part of that. Not only as good, is it good for our church, but giving is good for others. Giving is good for others. Yesterday, uh, Tim Whitney posted just a moment ago on our um, staff channel that uh, we had the privilege and the blessing of feeding or distributing food to 111 food insecure families yesterday. Do you know why that happened? Why that happened? Because of the generosity of people like you. People who have given to make that happen. People heard the gospel yesterday. There were eight people that were here for the first time yesterday because they had heard someone else say, here's where you could get some help. Can I just tell you, your giving is good for others, but your giving is good for yourself. My giving is good for me. Can I help you know why my giving is good for me? My giving is good for me because it guards my heart against greed. It guards my heart against being self-sufficient, of saying, God, I got it, don't worry. I got it taken care of. I don't need you. Giving puts me in a place where I am dependent on God to provide for and to bless my family. Giving is good for me because it gives me the opportunity to express to God in worship my thanksgiving to him, my acknowledgement that everything that I have is his and comes from him to me. Giving is good for me because it allows me to express to God my desire to be a good steward of what he has entrusted to my care. Giving is good for us. Here are two things I want to share with you in closing and we'll be done. What do we do with this? First thing I would just say to you is I want you to start giving if your giving story is not what you want it to be. I want to encourage you today to commit to the Lord in the similar way that I told you in my story where my pastor just confronted me with a need and the challenge and what the word of God says about giving to say, what are you doing your part? And say to the Lord today, God, I'm going to begin giving in a way that is consistent with the way you've blessed me. And I want to give in that way. I want to do it as an act of worship. Maybe you're presently already doing that. Then if you are, what I know about you is that you would say, everything you just said is exactly right. A couple of people text me earlier and said, I know this is a hard message. I'm like, well, it can be, but not really. I'm not promising you all this. I'm telling you, that's what God said. God's the one that promised that he 
gives a blessing attached to our giving. So I want to encourage you just to evaluate, is my giving reflecting the way God has blessed me? I want to share for one other group that's in here, and I don't know who you are. Prayed about you early this morning, but I just want to plant this seed. And that's about legacy giving. I want to encourage some of you in here today to think about how am I going to give beyond my living years? Is there an opportunity and a way to do that? Yes. During the middle of COVID, Claude Parent received a call from an attorney here in town somewhere, and the attorney said, you need to come by our office and pick up a check for your church. What are you talking about? He named someone, and it was a lady that had passed in our church some time ago. And because she had thought about the future, she made an intentional choice to leave her house, to leave her estate. It wasn't millions of dollars, but it was a substantial amount of money And it helped our church in the middle of a COVID crisis. God provides for his church. God takes care of his sheep. One of the ways he did that was by someone who listened to the Lord and thought ahead and said, what am I going to do with this stuff that I've got? They didn't have any extended extended family. It was a lady who was single. And she chose to leave that here so that the work of God's kingdom would be extended. Wow, what a blessing for us. What a blessing for our church to receive that kind of gift. Just want you to know we have a ministry in our church plan giving that helps people with make those kind of plans. I'll stop there with that. But if that intrigues you, call me. I'll help you get in touch with the folks that can help you set that kind of thing up. Because some of you need to be thinking about, God, what do you want me to do with what you've given to me in that kind of way? So that's the first thing I want you to do. Start giving, continue giving, evaluate your giving. Second thing I want you to do is to Share your story. Have a conversation today. Remember, our giving stories matter. Our giving stories teach us by example. Our giving stories inspire generosity. Our giving stories remind us that we're stewards, we're not owners. I say that specifically because of the way we do business transactions today. Less and less do we pass the plate in our church, give cash, write checks. Some of you don't know what checks are, all those kinds of things. We now use debit cards and credit cards and we spend digitally and we use bill pay on our bank system and we give by text and Venmo and Cash App and all those kinds of things. That's okay. But parents, let me help you know, giving digitally means that our children are not seeing a tangible example of parents giving to the Lord through their church. And so I want to invite you today at lunch to have a conversation about this is how our family supports First Baptist Church of Norfolk. This is how our family gives to the Lord through his church. This is why we give to the Lord through our church. Or maybe, you know what? We're not giving to the Lord through this church the way we should, but we're about to start. It's also an opportunity for you to help teach your kids. It's an opportunity for you to say to your children, hey, not only are we doing this, you need to do that too. This is your opportunity to give to the Lord through his church to accomplish kingdom purposes. That's it. Today, I want to encourage you at lunch, have a conversation. Talk about your family's giving story and what you want that legacy to be. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, you have been good to us. You are good to us. God, you have blessed us in enormous ways. 
Father, I pray that we would not take that blessing lightly. Father, I pray that you would help each of us grow in our stewardship, grow in our discipleship and understanding that as followers of Jesus, God, we want to be faithful to you in an act of worship to give back to you as an expression of our trust and confidence in you. God, would you receive our worship this day, even in these tangible ways. Father, would you bless your people, make them a blessing to others wherever they go. May all the days of our life we be busy about pointing others to Jesus. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.